In a world like ours, adrift in a sea of relativism and uncertainty, Jesus claims that everything He is, everything He says, and everything He does is absolutely, unequivocally true. And everything else is false. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is truth relative, or is there a standard body of truth in the world? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. The culture outside of Christianity has many ideas about truth. Some teach it is relative. Others say there is no absolute truth, that if there was truth, who could ever know it? Sadly, such ideas have crept into the Christian church. But the Bible itself claims to be truth, the objective standard given directly by God Himself, written by men within whom the Holy Spirit inspired and superintended. Do you believe that the Bible is truth, friend? In today's message, Tom explains the culture's various views of knowledge and truth. Let's join Tom right now as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Today I want us to consider the legacy of absolute truth. God's Word is truth, but clearly you understand that the Bible as God's truth is under attack today. I think the most intimidating attack for many believers comes from skeptics, atheists, and false teachers in academic robes who refer to themselves as biblical scholars. For example, one of the best known is a man named Bart Ehrman. Ehrman teaches at the University of North Carolina in religious studies. By the way, beware, parents, if you send your kids to a school that has any semblance of religious studies or a religious past, you are sending them to predators who will prey on their faith today. It is not the school you once knew about. They'll meet men like this man. He was originally Episcopalian, but, but as a teenager, he made a profession of faith in the biblical gospel. He later attended Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College. Sadly, in his doctoral studies at Princeton, he was indoctrinated with liberalism and lost his faith. Eventually, he became, and today, is something between an agnostic and an atheist. But he still presents himself as an expert and a scholar on the Bible. He's written 30 books. He teaches internet courses. And all of that is designed to attack the historic Christian faith that he personally hates and to do so under the guise of legitimate academic scholarship. Not surprisingly, Ehrman centers his attacks on the Scripture. This is what he writes, quote, "'The Bible is filled with discrepancies, many of them irreconcilable contradictions. Moses did not write the Pentateuch, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did not write the Gospels. The Gospels are at odds on numerous points and contain non-historical material. It's hard to know whether Moses ever existed and what exactly the historical Jesus taught. Many of the books of the New Testament 
are written not by the apostles, but by later writers claiming to be apostles. And then he says this, the Bible at the end of the day is a very human book, end quote. Now, he rejects the resurrection of Christ. He rejects all the miracles of Scripture, and on and on it goes. What you need to understand is that is actually tired, old, last-century liberalism spewed out by an angry apostate atheist who happens to have several degrees behind his name. He desperately wants others to reject the Bible as he has. He uses old arguments that have been answered, ironically answered by former professors at Princeton, the very place he learned this stuff, as well as he misrepresents the Bible at times, in many cases, and at times, frankly, it's hard not to think that he just lies. He says things like this, quote, none of the apostles claimed that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus' divinity was part of John's theology, not a part of Jesus' own teaching, end quote. Now, whether it's from Bart Ehrman or many others that are out there that you can hear and hear about, today's attempts to discredit the Scripture really come in three main attacks. Let me give them to you briefly. First of all, attacks on the Scripture come from anti-supernaturalism, which says there is no God, or if there is, He never intervenes in the world. So there is nothing supernatural. There is nothing miraculous. So when you come to the Bible, you see see things that may appear to be, they can't be real because there is no miraculous. God never intervenes in His world if He exists at all. Now, I I hope you recognize that this, this is, on the face of it, a logical fallacy. It rests on unproven premises that there is no God and that miracles are therefore impossible. But nevertheless, it's presented in many universities, colleges, and by many biblical scholars. A second attack comes from higher textual criticism. This argument says the biblical texts are not historically reliable. We don't even know that's what Jesus said. We don't know if that's what the Bible really is. Now, skeptics love this argument, but frankly, it contradicts the clear evidence that you can research on your own. The truth is we have more manuscript copies of the Bible than we do of any other ancient document, but nobody's saying, I don't think Aristotle said that. I don't think Plato said that. It's because they don't like what the Bible teaches. They don't like its claims. In addition to that, the biblical manuscripts that we have date closer to the original autographs and the events themselves than any other ancient document. In other words, the gap between when the documents we possess were written and the events themselves is much closer than any other ancient document. If you've been tempted by this argument or you're interacting with someone who has, let me encourage you to read Michael Kruger's very helpful book called The Question of Canon. He will show you that the canon of Scripture, the New Testament, for example, is where he really concentrates. It was not something that 300 years after Christ, a group of church leaders got together and said, we think these books are inspired. He proves that in the first century, there is clear evidence that the church was embracing the books that were written as the Scripture and equal to the Scripture. A third attack against Scripture today is postmodernism. Postmodernism says there is no absolute truth, or if there is, 
it cannot be known. Now, this is a relatively new attack, just a few decades old, but it has become in many ways the primary attack on Scripture today. And it, at times, those who are postmodern will use the other two attacks as part of their arsenal, but the foundation of their argument is really postmodernism. So I want to focus the rest of our time this morning on this new but virulent attack against the truth of Scripture. Now, as we have done in this series, I want to start by giving you a little bit of historical background. We're going to start with a brief historical overview of what academics call epistemology or the study of knowledge. So let's begin then with a brief history of knowledge. Epistemology primarily answers two questions. What is knowledge and how do we know what we know? Or in other words, what is the truth and how do we come to know it? Now, when you look back through human history, historically, there have been three primary views of epistemology. First of all, there is pre-modern epistemology. This says that truth comes to us through divine revelation. From creation through even the, the times of the ancient Greek philosophers and until about 400 years ago, as we'll see, there was nearly universal agreement on this. Our knowledge as human beings depends on divine revelation. Of course, there were many who didn't believe in the true God, but they believed that revelation was from, from false gods in nature or the false gods uh, who made up their pantheon. Others, of course, believed in the true God, believed in his, the revelation in His creation and in the Scriptures. But regardless, there was nearly universal agreement that what we knew for sure, the truth we knew, came to us through divine revelation. That brings us to a second historical view, and that is modern epistemology. Modern epistemology teaches that truth comes to us not through revelation, but through reason and the senses. Beginning in the, the 17th century, at the beginning of the 17th century, there was an increasing number of intellectuals who rejected the idea of pre-modern epistemology, the idea of authority, the idea of revelation as the source of knowledge. But but really, modern epistemology was born on a cold day in 1610. That was the day that a French mathematician named René Descartes had been wrestling for weeks in search of a cohesive philosophical system. After reflecting for hours, he determined that there was only one thing that he could not doubt, and that was the fact that he doubted. With this, his conclusion was, therefore, I think, therefore I am. And with that observation, the human mind and human reason became, for a long period of time, the only trustworthy foundation for all knowledge. The period we call the Enlightenment began with this observation and conclusion by Descartes. Now, it lasted from the early 1600s until the early 1970s. Let me just give you a little more insight into this. As I mentioned, it, it was birthed out of the concept of Rene Descartes, 
And he taught that we come to the truth not through revelation, but through human reason. This is rationalism. One starts with a few self-evident foundational truths and then builds the rest of knowledge on that foundation through the use of reason. John Locke, another, another major contributor to this worldview, says we acquire knowledge of what is true only through the senses and observation. This is empiricism. And then Immanuel Kant brought it all together. He combined rationalism and empiricism so that then modern epistemology, or we could say modernity, is the belief that truth exists, but the only reliable way to know it is through the scientific method, the use of reason and the senses. That reigned from the early 1600s to the early 1970s. That brings us to the third era of epistemology that's called postmodern epistemology. Postmodern epistemology says there is no certain truth. Now, postmodernism is really just a label for the prevailing intellectual mood and perspective in Western society today. It's a perspective that began in the early 1970s. Let me just say, if you're younger than 40 years of age in this room, you have been immersed in postmodernism, and you need to know it. You need to know what you're being sold and, and what these men came to teach. Now, po- postmodernism was shaped by several men. Let me just briefly give you their names. The first was Michael Foucault. He embraced a fragmented view of reality. He believed there's not a single correct view of the world, but rather there are countless views, and each of them is correct in its own way. You're going to recognize these ideas as I go along. The next man that's important to know is Jacques Derrida. Jacques Derrida argued that words are unpredictable because they change in meaning and therefore are ineffective in communication. Essentially, real communication of one mind to another mind is impossible because we can never truly understand because of the inadequacy of words. He also raised doubts about the reliability of the laws of logic. Richard Rorty and Stanley Fish argued, and this is really important, you see it every day, that the meaning of a text, whatever that text is, depends entirely on the community's interpretation. This is going on right now with our Constitution. It's not about what the writers intended, it's what the, the community intends and invests into that document. The final plank in the demolition of, moder- of modernism and the construction of postmodernism came from a man named Jean-Francois Lyotard. He was a French philosopher who rejected all meta-narratives, as he called them. What he meant was all universal theories of meaning. All overarching explanations of life, he said, are not the truth but they grow out of things like religion, conventional philosophy, capitalism, and gender. So you say, what does postmodernism teach? Here it is. Postmodernism can be reduced to two simple affirmations. First of all, truth does not exist, and if it does, you can never be certain of what is true. It denies that there are any objective propositions or truth claims that are universally, eternally true. So if anything can even be said to be true, it's only true in a particular place at a particular time for a particular person. Secondly, 
There is no universal explanation or meta-narrative of meaning that explains the world, that explains reality. It simply doesn't exist. Now, if you don't recognize it, let me just say to you that this philosophy now dominates the world's thinking, its discussion, certainly its education, its ethics, and its art. And by art, I mean all expressions of art, whether it's music or, or art itself. At its heart, postmodernism is a rejection of certainty about anything. It's simply, there is no truth, and we certainly can't be sure of that truth, even if it exists. Now, sadly, these same postmodern ideas entered the church through the writings of scholars who had been influenced by it in their studies. For example, in 2001, Stanley Grins and John Frankie wrote Beyond Foundationalism, Shaping Theology in a Postmodern World. And in that book, they argued that Christian theology, Christian doctrine, is in a constant state of change and that no issue should ever be considered as finally settled. In fact, their major target was certitude, the truth and being certain about the truth. Now, when this academic idea filtered down into the churches and through the churches, it produced these theological conclusions. This is how you know you're hearing postmodernism. When somebody says truth is not absolute, the Bible is not about propositional truth, it's a narrative, it's a story. No one can claim that any interpretation of any truth is certain. How proud of you to think that you can know what the Bible teaches. We need to approach the Bible with the hermeneutics of humility, and we need to admit we can just never know what it really says. Sin is subjective. Therefore, let's not be too quick to call those things that the Bible historically has called sin, sin. And then, and this one's really important, there is no body of doctrine that must be believed in order to be a Christian. There's no, there's no fence inside which is Christianity and outside of which is not. These are all the fruit of postmodernism in the church. So that's a brief history of knowledge, and, and that's how we got where we are. But folks, standing against the testimony of the culture and standing against the testimony of all of the scholarly skeptics is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time, the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, the truth of God was revealed and manifested in a person, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I am the truth. In other words, in a world like ours, adrift in a sea of relativism and uncertainty, Jesus claims that everything He is, everything He says, and everything He does is absolutely, unequivocally true, and everything else is false. You see, when you examine the ministry of Jesus Christ, you discover that He repeatedly made several foundational affirmations about truth that flatly contradict 
the tenets of postmodernism. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Again, we live in this world. You know, I've used this illustration before. It's, it's just like a fish doesn't know it's wet because it's surrounded with water. We don't know how much we've been influenced with this mindset. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. So let's look and see what our Lord taught. The first affirmation about truth that he makes that flatly contradicts the tenet of postmodernism is this. The physical senses and the laws of logic are valid tools for discovering knowledge. Now, that shouldn't need to be said, but in a postmodern world, it needs to be said and proved. Let me show you that Jesus taught exactly this. First of all, he taught the basic reliability of sense perception. I'll explain why this matters in just a moment, but turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 36. It's after the resurrection. This is one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. The Emmaus Road disciples, this is actually the Sunday night of the resurrection itself. The Emmaus Road disciples are reporting to the other disciples what they experienced. Verse 36, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst but they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, they were doubting their senses. They were doubting the reality of what they were observing and and noting. And Jesus says, don't. Notice what he says in verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. You see, what Jesus is saying is certainly any individual can lose touch with reality, but normal human beings in the normal function of life, Jesus says, can trust their senses and their observations. Their touch, their, what they see, what they hear. Now, why is this important? Because it means that normally when you read the Scripture and the words you read in Scripture, you are not imagining. You don't have to distrust your senses. You're reading the words you think you're reading. Again, that seems obvious, but not with postmodernism. Jesus affirms the basic reliability of sense perception. He also affirms the foundational laws of logic. Robert Raymond writes, Christians believe that their God is rational, that is, He is logical. This means that He speaks in a way that indicates that the laws of logic are laws of thought, listen to this, original with and intrinsic to Himself. God doesn't contradict, He's not irrational. So, let me just give you two laws of logic that Jesus clearly affirms that fly in the face of postmodernism. First of all, Jesus affirms the law of non-contradiction. That is, that a proposition and its denial cannot both be true. You can't have this proposition and its denial and say, well, it's all true. Formally stated, it's stated like this, A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. Put even more succinctly, 1 John 2, 21 says, no lie is of the truth. 
No lie is of the truth. In other words, contradictory propositions can't both be true. That's what the world tells us. But Jesus affirms that's not possible. He also affirms the law of the excluded middle. A proposition is either true or false. A moral proposition cannot be both cannot be both true and false, and there's no middle between true and false. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part nine of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will have part 10 for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit the word unleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from the word unleashed. That's the word unleashed.org. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.